If you have a copy of God's Word, turn to Philemon. I was going to say Philemon chapter 1, but there's only one chapter. And we are going to finish our series in this letter this morning. Uh, We started some four weeks ago, and uh, the first week of the series, we looked at spiritual restoration. The whole book is about restoration. We looked at spiritual restoration, and what is spiritual restoration? It is um, you and me as individuals coming to know Jesus as Savior and Lord, and as we live life, and as we sin, as we go against God's Word, we need to come back to Him. He offers that through forgiveness, and we see that restoration happen in us. But not only did we see spiritual restoration, and we talk about spiritual restoration, but we also looked at relational restoration, the relationships on a horizontal plane, meaning with coworkers, family, spouses, friends, neighbors, how they are to be restored. Last week, we looked at community restoration, and we talked about uh, Philemon's house. We talked about uh, what was going on in Colossae and how Paul and the gospel, more than Paul, um, restored that community. And this morning, we will look at continual restoration. When I set out to uh, preach through this book, Three of the four weeks just jumped out at me. This one jumped out at me first. And it all comes from one verse. And I want us to to look at that one verse. It is Philemon, verse 21. Philemon, verse 21. You're going to have an opportunity in a moment to uh, respond back and forth to me from this verse. But um, I want us to... uh, to look at this verse, and then I'm going to read all of the letter. Since I am confident, Paul states, since I am confident of your obedience, of Philemon's obedience, I'm writing to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, as uh, as we spend the next few moments in this passage. God, I I pray that my prayer that has already begun this morning would continue. Add to it, Father. We just sang that Your Spirit, Lord, Your Spirit is welcome in this place. Not just in this room, Father, Your Spirit is welcome in me. Your Spirit is welcome in Your sons and daughters that are gathered in this room. Would You speak? Father, would You speak on the subject of obedience? Yes, but but Lord, would You speak to us individually of where we are? God, where You desire us to be. Thank you for the opportunity to proclaim your word. God, use this time for your name and for your kingdom in us, through us. In Jesus' name, amen. 
I don't know about you, but I love comfort food. I absolutely love comfort food. And there are a number of things that I call comfort food, um, like cinnamon rolls, honey buns, Krispy Kreme donuts. That, that's, that's an aspect of, of comfort food. But, but one of my favorite comfort foods that my grandmother fixed was chicken and dumplings. I mean, just good food. Chicken and dumplings. And, and I remember standing in her kitchen watching her with my lips watering, just waiting. And she's like, it's not ready. It's not ready. I got other ingredients that I have to put in so that it will be what you think that it is. Great chicken and dumplings. I remember taking the pieces of chicken with the bones in them and putting them in a pressure cooker and cooking the chicken and then taking the chicken out and taking the meat off the bones and setting it aside, keeping that broth and then placing in there the other ingredients, making the dumplings. Now, I don't know how you do chicken and dumplings. Some of you might do chicken and dumplings with carrots and English peas. If you want to make chicken pot pie, that's fine. I enjoy it. It's good. But that's not chicken and dumplings. Not granny's chicken and dumplings. But there were dumplings. There was this soup, thick soup. There was chicken, chunks and chunks of chicken. Now, when I look at verse 21, there, there is this continual restoration that Paul is, is speaking into the life of Philemon. He is saying to Philemon, Philemon, I know you. I know some ingredients that are in your life. I have seen you. I have walked with you. And because of that, I am confident that there will be restoration. Restoration between you and Onesimus. That's what the topic and the reason for the whole letter has been. Onesimus, a runaway slave, met Jesus. He met Jesus through a man named Paul. He got saved and he got sent back to his master, earthly master, Philemon. And Paul knew Philemon. Paul shared the gospel with Philemon. Philemon came to know Christ long before Onesimus met Paul. And that's what the letter's about. And what I desire for us over the next few moments that we have looking at this letter, I'm going to read the letter for us one more time. And as I read this letter, I desire for you and for me to understand some of these ingredients that are going into this statement that we just read in verse 21. Since I am confident of your obedience, I'm writing to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. So as I read aloud for us, and as you follow along either on the screen or in your copy of God's Word, look for ingredients of obedience. We're going to speak about four of those. There are others, but we're going to speak of four of those in the moments that we have. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker. 
and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God. I always thank my God when I mention you in my prayers. Because I hear of your love for all the saints and the faith that you have in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective through knowing every good thing that is in us for the glory of Christ. For I have great joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. For this reason, although I have great boldness in Christ to command you to do what is right, I appeal to you instead on the basis of love. I, Paul, as an elderly man, and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. I became his father while I was in chains. Once he was useless to you, but now he is useful both to you and to me. I am sending him back to you. I'm sending my very own heart. I wanted to keep him with me. But that in my imprisonment for the gospel, he might serve me in your place. But I did not want to do anything without your consent. So that your good deed might not be out of obligation, but of our own, of your own free will. Verse 15. For perhaps, Perhaps this is why he was separated from you for a brief time, so that you might get him back permanently, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a dearly loved brother. He is especially so to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would me. And if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. Not to mention that you owe me even your very self. Yes, brother, I may benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Since I am confident of your obedience, I am writing to you knowing, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Meanwhile, Also prepare a guest room for me, since I hope that through your prayers, I will be restored to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my co-workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Be with your spirit. So we look at that verse, verse 21. We speak of obedience, a continual restoration, an ongoing restoration. I believe there are four ingredients to that obedience or to that continual restoration that we can glean and we can see from this letter. The first is prayer. If you look all the way back in verse number four, you see a prayer that Paul had for Philemon. In verses 4 through 7, he speaks of this prayer, and he speaks of his prayers to Philemon, to the Lord about Philemon. I always thank my God when I mention you in my prayers, because I hear of your love for all the saints and the faith that you have in the Lord Jesus. Here's my prayer. I pray that your participation in the faith 
may become effective through knowing every good thing that is in us for the glory of Christ. For I have great joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. The prayer was this. I I desire, Paul says, I desire and I pray for you and I pray for you in great encouragement and expectation. And here's my prayer that you would know, River Bend, that you would know all the effectiveness, all the effectiveness of the work that is working in you and through you because of all the people that are being reached and touched with the gospel by you. It is a great encouragement to me, Paul says there in verse number 7, when I see your love. Prayer. The other day I got a phone call. Actually, I think it was a text, and the text was from a member here, and the text said, Brian, there are a group of men praying, excuse me, there are a group of men meeting on Friday night, and I would like for you to be there. Said meeting, not praying. You'll, I let the cat out of the bag. Sorry about that. And I text back to this individual. I said, um, hmm, what, what are you meeting about? Very inquisitive. I said, I would like to prepare. He said, you don't have to prepare. We're just praying. Just come up here. And immediately my guard went down. And I said, okay, I'll pray. I asked Paige about 5.30, hey, they're praying at 7 o'clock. Can I go? And she said, yes, like I'm going to keep you from going up there to pray. And I showed up at 7.02. I was a little late. And when I turned on Capic, I saw a number of vehicles and my heart rejoiced. And I walked in this door right over here and I saw a semicircle and there were a number of men. And for the next couple of hours, we prayed. We prayed for you. We prayed for you in the seat where you are. We prayed for the ministry that's happening here. We prayed for us, for the guys in the room. There were 23 men in the room who were praying and we prayed. And it refreshed my soul. Prayer is an encouragement. It's an encouragement to you. It's an encouragement to me. And it is an ingredient for obedience and continual restoration. You know, as we got up and we left, there were a number of men who stated, as I heard, man, we need to do this more. We need to do this more. Amen. We need to do this every day, meaning that we need to be on our faces before the Father in continual restoration, making steps, ingredients for obedience and restoring our individual lives. But not only do we see prayer, Philemon chapter 4, verse 7, but we also see a second ingredient. We see an ingredient of the Word. You're like, Brian, I I didn't read, out of the 25 verses, I didn't read the Word there. But it is the ministry. There is no Word in this passage that says Scripture, truth even, or the Bible, but it is all of what Paul is about. It is all of what Paul is setting forth in the home of Philemon. 
for the people at Colossae where Philemon lives. And it is a great ingredient for you and for me for continual restoration. I was reading some commentaries, and uh, one of them that I read, I enjoyed this quote. You'll see the quote on the screen from N.T. Wright. He says this about this obedience. Paul has, has not asked Philemon for blind obedience. He's given him the gospel. He's given him incarnated in a new way, but still, clearly, it's recognizable. The obedience that he seeks is Philemon's heartfelt response to the call of love. And if he can be confident here, speaking of Paul, he can be certain that love, once awakened, will go the second mile, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Where does he get that? He gets that from other places in Paul's writings as we look at it in Ephesians, in Colossians, in Romans, in Corinthians. He sees that over and over and over again of what Paul is driving and drawing those men and women back to. And it is the Word. He wrote this to his son in the faith, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. He says, Hey, Timothy, understand this, that all Scripture is God-breathed. He breathed it out. It begins, Scripture does, begins in God. All Scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching. It's profitable for rebuking. It's profitable for correcting. It's profitable for training in righteousness so that you... So that I, the men and women of God, may be complete. So that we might be equipped for every good work. The Word is an ingredient. And without that Word, without the Word of the living God, there is no way for you and for me to continue. As I joked a moment ago, there's no way for us to make chicken and dumplings if we add other ingredients or take out key ingredients. This ingredient, the ingredient of God's Word, is vital for us for making obedience, for making continual restoration. It is a part. A third ingredient, not only prayer and the Word, we see surrender. Have you put yourself there? Have you, have you thought of a situation in your life where you were asked, hey, this person's wronged you. This person has just done you flat wrong. Would you forgive them? Have you ever had somebody come up to you and ask you that? Like a, a peacemaker, a third party, one who knew both sides, coming to you and saying, hey, yep, that sorry Onesimus. Yeah, he ran away. He stole something more than likely. He left you high and dry. But I'm telling you, it is of benefit for you. Not only in this moment, but it's a benefit for you for your life to forgive Onesimus. Has there ever been a moment, an episode, a time where somebody has wronged you and oh, it was hard for you? 
to forgive them. I wrote the ingredient down as surrender. The end of last year, I was reading a uh, blog by a missionary family that lives in the middle of Africa. And um, I don't know why I was reading the blog. Never read it before. This individual has made multiple posts after that. I don't, I haven't read any after, but I read that morning's blog. It came across my email and, um, I, I read the blog and the title of it was this. The missionary life is a chance to die. And I was like, hmm, that piqued my interest. Let's go and let's read it. And that sentence is, a quote from Amy Carmichael, who was a missionary of yesteryear. And this individual laid out how the missionary life there in Africa, where they were serving, was an opportunity for them to die. Not necessarily physically, although they live in a country where they kill Christians. Where they were going with this was an opportunity for them to die daily. To surrender their desires. And you have the same opportunity. I have the same opportunity. Every single day for us to forgive those who have hurt us. For us to forgive those who are around us that are holding grudges that have done this or that. You have an opportunity. To surrender your will and forgive. And when you do that, when I do that, there is restoration. And that restoration continues day upon day upon day. And that's what you're called to. Do you think Philemon wanted to do that? I don't. I think Philemon's flesh... When he saw Onesimus walk through the gate, I believe his flesh raised up in him and said, I'm going to cut your head off. You thought I was a bad master before you left? I remember all those times that you would look, or I remember all those times that you would say something as I told you to go do something as we were working together. I remember those times, and he's just bringing them up one after another after another in his mind, and he is just about to let loose, and then the letter is handed to him. Maybe that's what you think about every time you walk into the workplace when you see this individual. When you turn down a certain street because this person lives down said street. When the phone rings and you look on the phone at the individual that you haven't talked to in six months, a year and a half, seven years, whatever the time frame, and how you left that relationship. There is an opportunity for you and for me to surrender and to do what God has called us to do, which is forgive. Brian, you don't know what they did. I don't have to know what they did. I know what I've done. I know what I've done this week. I know what I did last month. I somewhat remember what I did two years ago. I somewhat remember what I did 22 years ago. I know what I did. And what it costs Christ. And that's far more than what anybody has ever done to me. And if I'm not willing to forgive them for a little, why should He ever forgive me for so much? 
for us to be restored, there must be this act of obedience. And one of the ingredients that goes into obedience that brings that out is surrender. Final ingredient that I want us to look at. When I wrote the the point the first time, I had a different word to end the sentence, but I think this is a better way to say it. A final ingredient for obedience is your walk. First week of this year, I purchased a book, and the book deals with this topic. The topic is one word, and and choosing one word for the year that that you need to grow in, one word for the year that you would like to see in your life, one word that that would define your year. And my word, because I don't necessarily like instructions or don't obey instructions sometimes, my word was to follow through. And that's what I had first. A final ingredient for obedience is follow through, but but it really is your walk. And they're, in this instance, they're, they're used as the same. You can say that I'm going to obey. You can say that I'm going to forgive. You can say at this moment, 11.05 on a Sunday morning, 2019, you can say, all right, I'm doing this. But if you don't live it out, if you don't walk it out from this point forward, all it was was a statement that you said or you thought. There must be action. There must be a walk for it to come about. Paul wrote it this way in Ephesians chapter 4, a passage that we have looked at a couple of weeks ago, I believe. But in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, he says this, Therefore, I say this, and I testify in the Lord, you should no longer live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding. They're excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous. They gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. Hey, church at Ephesus, hey, church at River Bend, that is not how you came to know Christ. Assuming that you heard about Him, you were taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus. Take off your former way of life. Take off your former way of life. The old self that's corrupted, it's corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of the truth. He is calling you and He's calling me. Hey, if you are who you say you are, student, if you are who you say you are, sir, ma'am, you say you're a Christ follower, you say you're a believer, you say that you have accepted Him as Savior and Lord, He is calling you and me to walk that out. 
And as you walk that out, that goes in the pot of this thing called continual restoration obedience. I've said it a number of times from this stage. You and I must put our faith in Him, turn our face toward Him, put our feet moving toward Him, and when those things happen, when your faith and your face and your feet are all going in this direction, guess what? Your feelings will come. You and I want the feeling so that we can start walking toward Him. And He said, that's not how it works, but if you would walk Sunday, if you would walk Monday, if you would walk this week, Feelings will begin. If you and I walk, if you and I walk daily toward Him, you and I would keep a short list of sin, and you and I could start writing a long list of praise. For most of us, most weeks, most days, maybe our list of sin is long and our list of praise is short. But if we would walk toward Him, put our faith there, move our feet toward Him through prayer, through the Word, through surrendering, those feelings, they come. Father, You've called me to die to self. You've called me To put on the new self through your son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, thank you for dying. You died, paid the price for everyone in this room. There is no other name under heaven whereby we are to be saved. That we can call upon to be saved. Salvation is found in no other, Lord. Salvation for eternity, salvation for the moment and the day is only found in You. Lord, as I looked out over this room, as I thought of my day, my week, my year thus far, God, You have called me and You have called us to Yourself. And I pray for these ladies. I pray for these men. A part of this flock that you allow me to to shepherd. May we turn towards you. May we see this continual restoration on a daily basis through our obedience. I don't know where this scripture hit you over these four weeks. I don't know where possibly the sermon hit you this morning, but it's God's word and it will not come back void. We have an opportunity for you this morning, church, to respond. Maybe your response is right where you are and that's where we want you to respond. Maybe your response is, I need to come forward and bow my knee physically. Bow my life before the King. We're going to stand and we're going to sing. We ask for you to respond. 
Obey what he is calling you to do. Maybe it's to go and talk with somebody across the room. Maybe it's to go out of the room and call somebody. I I don't know what the response is. But he's calling you to respond. So respond. As we stand and sing, you respond.